What might the future of regenerative agriculture look like and how might producers find benefits in engaging climate smart approaches? Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. There's a lot of talk today about climate smart farming. What might that look like? We caught up with two leaders of the Iowa Smart Agriculture Work Group during the recent Iowa Master Farmer Celebration. These two farmers are using different tactics for a more circular approach to agriculture and both offer opportunities for a range of farming operations. Kelly Blair and her husband operate Blair Farms LLC, a fourth generation crop and livestock operation near Dayton, Iowa. Her focus is soil conservation and water quality, and the operation has a history of engaging in continuous improvement, always looking at better ways to get things done. Brian Seavers operates a grain and livestock farm, which includes 2,300 acres of tillable land and a 2,400 head beef cattle feedlot near Stockton, Iowa. But to manage his carbon footprint several years ago, the Seavers invested in two anaerobic digesters to turn methane into electricity. That business has since evolved, which Brian will explain. This is a fascinating conversation about a new way to look at your farm and to think about ways to maximize the resources you already have in your business. Talking with Brian Sievers and uh, Kelly Blair with Iowa Smart Farming. Welcome to Around Farm Progress. Thank you. Thank you. You made a great presentation at Iowa Master Farmers, and I wanted to play on that a little bit. You're talking about regenerative agriculture. Well, I'll start with uh, Kelly. Can you give me your elevator pitch? <laughs> what is a, a regenerative agriculture from your perspective on your farm? For us, I don't know that we'd call it regenerative agriculture, but uh, we're a pretty diverse livestock and crop farm. So uh, as basic as it gets, the uh, the crop feeds the animals, the animal feed the crop, and it, and it recycles and goes over and over. Um, and it's a lot more than that and a lot bigger than that, but that's the basics. I did like your presentation on how you, your circle actually brought in the community and social, and I'll get back to that in a minute. From Brian, from your perspective, regenerative has an uh, actual another level. Besides the livestock feeding the crop, the livestock are feeding a whole different part of the business. Well, yeah, before we return that back to the crop, we extract some value. And that really, I guess, would be how I would describe it as we're trying to maximize the value of those natural resources that we're, we're blessed with, you know, the air, land, water, sun, and people. And by integrating an anaerobic digester into that, that equation, we can extract the methane gas and use that to produce renewable energy, whether it be electricity or renewable natural gas. And then once those products come back out of the bottom of the digesters, we can return that back to the fields to help feed the crop. Kelly's yours is actually maybe a more familiar model to older farmers listening to this, that they kind of grew up with that, right? Uh, we had cattle and we put the manure on the field and that's how it worked. How do you refine that model in your operation? As you've evolved over the last few years in your model, how is that refined for you so that it's a little, little different than maybe what grandpa might remember? It's definitely a bigger model than than what my grandparents or even my dad did but the same concepts and, th- and that's kind of how agriculture for us is is we have to get the basics right before anything else happens so for the crop we need we need fertilizer we need it placed well we need a good environment for the seed and the same goes for the animals the basics are we need to give them a good environment to live in some good air and good water and um, hopefully the animal will take care of the rest for us but I, I don't know that we do it much different um, besides we've just we've just started to think about more of what we're doing and how it affects the in- environment. 
And you are doing some interesting things with crop choices in terms of adding oats to the rotation. Talk to me about that a little bit, and then I'm going to get back with Brian and some of what he's playing with. But a little bit, yours is something that's a more familiar model to a lot of people. How? What are those little refinements? You know, when we first started, we were having to buy, uh, you were just talking to us about extractive agriculture, and we were having to buy a lot of the inputs to feed our cattle. And we were starting to look at what if what if we can't get the hay? What if we can't get what we need? And so we decided, let's extend our rotation. Let's add in maybe a small grain and some hay. And through that, we've we found a lot of benefits. You know, we know the small grains are, are going to benefit our yield by uh by breaking that disease and that pest cycle. But then on top of that, it's going to better our water, better our soils. And we have a place to go with manure if we need to in the middle of the year where we don't normally. The barn has some fresh bedding where, again, we don't normally have fresh bedding because we normally use corn stalks. So everything just kind of keeps rolling and snowballing into, well, this works better for us or, or this doesn't work better for us. So let's go in this direction instead of the other. I think that's interesting in terms of the other uh, phrase you kept using was resilience, you know, being adaptive to new ideas. So, Brian, you've taken this to a whole different level <laughs> with your feedlot and feeding all the cattle, whether your own or contract feeding. And you're taking that manure off and you're doing a lot with that. What what even turned you on to the idea of putting digesters in? Well, it really goes back to that valuing the resources we're blessed with. You know, how can we uh, uh, implement practices, uh, procedures that value those resources to their highest and best use. Uh, was it putting a border, uh, field border in, uh, you know, in a conservation plan or a grass waterway? That was, to me, a higher and better use, even though it was a very simple, uh, but it's a very sustainable approach to improving water quality, keeping soil in place. Then along came things like no-till and, and strip-till and site-specific farming practices, all is designed to reduce the carbon footprint that we have on our on our land and our soil and our and our resources to produce the food feed fuel and fiber for for a growing population not only domestically but around the world um, really uh, it set uh, home i guess for, for me in about 2007 when i had a chance to tour the uh, e3 biofuels plant at mead nebraska and saw what they were doing with their feedlot manure through a digester, and then they had constructed an ethanol plant, and that was their closed-loop process. They had some problems with the ethanol plant primarily, but the feedlot and the digester continued to work pretty well. Uh, they just didn't have a, a place to go with the biogas once the ethanol plant shut down. So that also was a, an, a lesson learned. You need to make sure you've got resiliency in your, in your plans on what happens if this fails. What am I going to do here in that process? And those are the things that we've learned uh, in, our, in our particular farming operation is that you really... You don't wonder when you leave the house for the day is, gee, I wonder if anything's going to go wrong for the day. It's when things go wrong, how am I going to respond and and, and react to that and and best manage the situation? Because things can happen. There's a lot of moving parts. I mean, I started seeing digesters in the early 80s, whether it was a poultry operation or whatever, and they were just running really dirty gas through an engine and getting electricity for the plant, sometimes selling to the grid. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we refined that over the last 30 or 40 years, but then now the electricity doesn't have the same value to the local power operation because right. they've been on all those wind farms and everything. So the renewable story changes for them. So you've got to change your business now, right? Right. Yeah. So we've been producing electricity with our biogas, uh, but as we uh, look to the future, by the end of this year, we'll be taking that biogas and, and what we call upgrading or cleaning it and injecting it into a pipeline. And it's, it's generally referred to as renewable natural gas. That has a much higher value. And uh, so we hope that we can maybe restore some of the profitability that we had early in our process 
when, when uh, electricity prices were higher. Uh, and we think that that, that is a more sustainable model is through the production of renewable natural gas. When you look at other countries that have that are f- much further developed in their anaerobic digestion industry, you look at Germany. I mean, they have over 9,000 digesters in a landmass that's really not much bigger than the state of Iowa. And we have three. Going, we're growing to 12 here soon. Um, so we've got a long way to grow. Uh, we've got a lot of resources that can be utilized in this process. And now there's a market for that renewable natural gas that will help provide the financial incentives to do so. You know, Europe's come a long way, but really the first compressed natural gas, renewable natural gas um, from methane tractor just came to market this year from New Holland. So it's interesting how this is taking its time to get traction Mm -hmm. and all that. When you listen to what Brian has to say, how do you, Kelly, look at maybe your future in your operation as as this evolves? I think no matter whose operation we look at, we always take something out of it and think about it for our own. Um, I guess we could sit here all day and talk about why it won't work for our operation, but it's more exciting for us to think about how it could work. And, you know, Brian's operation is a lot different than ours, but yet in our community, it's not a lot different. If you think about within five miles, how many um, hog facilities are there? We have a, a ethanol plant. How many opportunities we can have to have like a, a digester as a co-op type thing? Mm-hmm. And, you know, opportunities like that, that us ourselves don't have to put in that much risk and that much money, but then also thinking about um, our community and how we need more jobs in the area, thinking about somebody that maybe wants to take that on to manage it, to think about the people hauling the manure or the the feedstuffs that need to be put into that digester, thinking about the the solids that need to be taken back off and, and about the fact that we have a lot of value that couldn't be taken and put back onto the fields. And again, that circular cycle um, just always, it always pops back up in my mind. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. You've kind of made the circle pretty wide, Brian, in your operation from the standpoint of besides manure, you're taking pretty much, I'm pretty much sure that you could call anybody and get something to put in this digester. And that's an idea that I don't think a lot of people understand that you can compost anything and make methane. Right. Uh, you know, for example, in the dairies that are uh, building digesters, a lot of those are close to Lamar's. There's a lot of whey produced in that yeah. process. That's a great feedstock for a digester. You have to be careful because it's it's a gas producer, and so you, you, you don't want to overfeed, just like you don't want to overfeed your cattle or your hogs or your, ourselves. Uh, so it becomes then you become more of a chemist than you do a farmer or a digester owner operator. Uh, but you really do have to focus on on you know what you're feeding, the ingredients you're feeding. Uh, it's just just no different than any other ration we put together every day for our cattle or what Kelly does for her livestock on, on her farm. Why you really have to be careful of that ration. But nevertheless, those are all really good feedstocks for the digester if they're done so in, in the appropriate amounts. So you're telling me that you've become a nutritionist for a methane digester? Well, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit like the friendship loaf. You know, you, you know, you pass the yeast along. When we started our digester, we hauled in 400,000 gallons of digestate from a man of farms to seed our digester. And, uh, you know, it was at that point that you realized that they had the right bacteria and, and bugs in their digestate that we wanted. Uh, and they paid it forward, and, and hopefully maybe someday over in eastern Iowa someone else will build a digester, and I can return that favor to, to them as well. With the guys building nine other digesters around the state, do you think you're going to get a call for a little bit of starter? Well, possibly, <laughs> yes. It always helps to have starter in, in that yeast, in that, in that friendship love. Yeah, that's pretty sure. It's, it's interesting just how this works and how this has evolved. And, and then back in your more traditional setup, though, how there's more opportunity almost every day. I mean, 
you're open to a lot of partnerships, and I wanted to talk about that a moment. We think of agriculture, and sometimes we think sometimes it's the lone ranger in agriculture. You know, I'm farming. I'm making these relationships mostly with the landowners, and it's me running the operation. How do you look at partnerships in your business, Kelly? There's a lot of different ways, I think, <laughs> um, even just doing things like this. So I think Ray helps me out by making me say yes to things. So then things just kind of just kind of happen. <laughs> but, you know, I think my husband does a lot of the thought processes as well of, of who might need some help for a partnership or what they could provide for us as far as a partnership. And knowing Iowa agriculture is, it's a pretty small place when you, when you get down to it. Um, so we know someone's that's done that before. So, Hey, can you help us out? Partnerships aren't just only you know, given back and forth, but the information giving back and forth is, is huge for us. That's how we've done everything is we've seen cattle barns. We've seen and talked to oat producers and we continue to learn. So we're no experts. We don't feel like we're experts, uh, but we have a lot more to learn always. I think that's exciting. And you actually used the phrase continuous improvement in your presentation. I don't always hear that in a farm presentation. So it was refreshing from your standpoint, Brian, your partnerships are both straight up business relationships. I'm going to buy this turkey blood from so-and-so, but you are looking at other partnerships too. How does that look in your operation? Well, it, I go all the way back to uh, when we hired a gentleman by the name of Kurt Vandenberg to work for us 25 years ago. You know, he's, he's still with us. And now he's my business partner on a number of ventures, uh, business opportunities. And I really like that approach. You know, when you go to buy a $435,000 Hagee sprayer, uh, you know, I couldn't justify it. But he and I and another neighbor could. And we've made it work. It's actually worked out quite well. And I really like establishing those kinds of partnerships, whether it be on a one asset or, or a piece of equipment like that, or in a in a uh, anaerobic digester facility where we brought in a new partner such as Raceline Alternative Energy to help us take it uh, and grow it in, into the next level. It does bring up one question. You laid out some numbers. I won't recap those numbers here, but I didn't ask the question in the room. But are you at break even, or are you making a profit on your operation given the huge investment to start? So the cash grain operation is profitable. The feed yard's profitable. The digester has been profitable up until 2000, late 19 and 20. Uh, when we had some problems with our generator, uh, those have been resolved and fixed after a lot of yeah. a lot of repair bills. Uh, but now we think when the renewable natural gas project is is completed at the end of this year, we'll return to profitability in that as well. Uh, the the biggest thing that that hurt us in the digester project was the generator going down and having to spend a lot of money to repair it, and then uh, also the drop in electricity rates or prices that we were receiving. You know, you mentioned that the, going to renewable natural gas could change the profitability and also bring the the uh, new business opportunity. But you'll always have that electric generator there, too. So if electric prices change and come back in your favor, you can swap back and forth? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and actually, in our uh, particular pipeline interconnect that we're going to have, we'll send the renewable natural gas to the pipeline. We're actually going to put a second pipeline to come right back to our generator so we can run the generator on natural gas. It may be the same molecules we just put into the pipeline. We don't know. Uh, but that, that generator, by running and operating 24-7, provides the heat we need for our digesters to maintain what we call a mesophilic temperature range between about 99 and 105 degrees. So that heat is, is uh, very inexpensive when you can run the generator to provide that heat 
and the hot water that we pump through our uh, the walls of our concrete digester tanks. We also use that heat in a, in a couple of other buildings uh, there on the farm in the digester facility. And so it, it's, it's a relatively inexpensive way uh, to produce heat that you need for your buildings and facilities as well. Well, that's pretty cool. We've been talking to Brian Sievers and uh, Kelly Blair, Blair Farms in Dayton, Iowa, and Brian Sievers from Stockton, Iowa, that area. We appreciate your talk and your work with Iowa Smart Farming and fascinating. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks to Kelly Blair and Brian Sievers for their insights into taking a more holistic view of the farm. Oh, and when Kelly mentioned Ray getting her to speak at events, she was talking about Ray Gasser, who is also involved in the Iowa Smart Farming Working Group and active in the American Soybean Association. It was Ray's idea for Brian and Kelly to speak to the Master Farmer event. Thanks, Ray. As you look at your own farm, consider what Kelly and Brian discussed. Their use of partnerships is the secret sauce that helps both operations thrive, and you can learn more about the Iowa Smart Agriculture Work Group by visiting solutionsfromtheland.org online. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional brands as well as farm futures, beef, national hog farmer, and feedstuffs, and our events including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, and the New York Farm Show. And there's another opportunity for staying connected to Farm Progress using your smartphone. If you text FARM to 20505, you can sign up for the Farm Progress mobile text service. When you send that first message, you'll get a confirmation. Be sure to respond to that too to get on the list. And once you're subscribed, you'll get a daily alert containing a top-level news item from our editorial team. And you can even eventually join the Farm Progress panel to share your thoughts and insights with our regular polls. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.